Squadrons Podcast. It is February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm your host, Time Bomb. With me every week is our other host for the show, Green Fox Leader. How you doing? What's going on, man? How's it going? Doing, doing pretty good here. Just, in, just enjoying the, the long weekend here in Canada. It's, it's family day weekend for us. Nice. And Valentine's coming up here? Yeah, that's right. Going to celebrate that with my girl today. Making nice dinners. Got some gifts coming, all that jazz. Hope you're doing nice, the same man. there, Green Fox. Oh, yeah. We've got a great guest. I've been waiting to get this guest on for so long. He's been making so many quality posts to Reddit all year, the Competitive Squadrons subreddit there. He's been innovating the game, giving all the hard details. He plays for Aces 5, one of the best pilots out there. Stracier, thank you so much for being on the podcast here, buddy. Hello there. So hyped oh, yeah. to have you on, man. Uh, you have just so much information to give the community. Yeah, you man. <clears throat> Des, why don't you talk a bit about uh, maybe when we first met back in early fall, right when the game first launched, and uh, and I think we even met in maybe five bands or, or somewhere like that. And we found out that you were the owner of our competitive squadrons on Reddit and had done a bulk of the work around the uh, point value testings for not only uh, weapons, but defense values and capital ship values. Because uh, there wasn't really any spreadsheets or anything floating around at the time, right? Right at launch, no one really knew what any of the information was. Why don't you take us back to kind of early launch days and what that was like, uh, seeing that there's a hole in the the knowledge structure of the community and trying to fill that hole a bit. Yeah, so uh, this is, uh, yeah, that, that takes me back. back. Um, so uh, at the time, we really didn't have anything at all. And so I really wanted to have a place that was entirely dedicated to um, only serious stuff so that when people want to know um, something specific and something serious, they would know where to go, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's the idea behind the the creation of the uh, competitive squadrons, and um, yeah, we met. Um, uh, yeah, I think you contacted contacted me uh, right at the beginning, and so we were uh, yeah we were discussing about a lot of stuff, uh, trying to create. Uh, a way for people to join uh, Five Mans and many of the other servers, and uh, yeah, that was uh, that was before uh, we even had uh, custom matches, so we had to <laughs> yeah. force queues. That was really something. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we made it work anyway. So the, that was uh, that was really yeah. Spoke to the great. innovation of the community. What what was yeah. your background before Squadrons is ACA? What did you play other flight games? Uh, what, what what was your background there? Uh, I played um, ED, of course, um, a bit of War Thunder, and 
uh, MMORPG, and uh, most of my time was spent on on uh, fighting games, especially melee. Uh, oh, okay. Smash Man. Yeah, and you also. I don't know if it's if it's rare or not. I don't know how many people are, but you use a mouse and keyboard to play, right? Have you you've never used a flight stick at all? Oh yeah, I, I've used it a lot. Um, oh okay. So in the early games, um, yeah. So if we stick for Star Wars and EG, maybe also, uh, I was using a stick, uh, but I uh, I moved uh, away from my house and uh, I sold my equipment because I really didn't have that much space, and now. I have to be serious, so <laughs> I don't really have too much time and money to spend on expensive uh, equipment. So right. right now I'm using a mouse and keyboard that are uh, $20 pack uh, for <laughs> mouse and keyboard, so that's what I'm working with. <laughs> but I nice, feel like man. the mouse and keyboard must have some ad- advantage. What do you think gives you any advantage, that the mouse and keyboard? Um... I don't know about that, but but for sure, uh, controllers, uh, because of how the game uh, refuses to let people with controllers uh, change uh, in-earth settings, that is for sure a disadvantage for them. Mm -hmm. But that's something I think can very well be compensated by just uh, pure talent. But yeah, um, at the highest level, uh, if you're using controller, uh, at least for... You want to make quick runs. You don't want to be, uh, yeah. But you cannot really manage uh, power management and shield, yeah, uh, front yeah. or back, whatever. Very I'm well on controllers, and so mm-hmm. you, you need to be very fast and then go away. Otherwise, yeah. you cannot really uh, sustain the front lines. It's exactly my situation on console controller. I mean, anyone. Anyone who's played with me has probably heard me talk about it, but that's the situation I'm in, and I mean, I, I try to really adapt to it. I feel like I've done a pretty good job on console controller, and I can compete and be a, a con- contributing member of my team, but inherently I do know that I'm at a disadvantage because of that. Now, why don't you, I mean, that's something you've talked about a lot, Mom. why don't you discuss the advantage that uh, advanced power management has over basic? Um, yeah, so... We have a lot of things that looks complicated about power management uh, because we can we have the possibility to change and add pips one by one to attribute uh, to attribute them uh, wherever we want. But actually, because how the game works, it's not interesting at all. Because uh, the only thing that is interesting is to maximize your overall energy, and mm-hmm. to do that, the o- only way to overcharge your weapons is by putting full pips into mm-hmm. that specific uh, power. And so yeah. uh, you really cannot, <laughs> there really isn't that much complicated. So, okay, so now I'm moving, so mm-hmm. I charge boost uh, to the maximum. Okay, so now I want to regenerate my shield, so I have to, <laughs> to, to, uh, to, to get uh, full shield. Uh, and so you're basically shifting a lot of stuff around, but that's, that doesn't really mean much. We could have a setting that would be like um, one, two, three in terms of mm-hmm, tips, mm-hmm. and that would be exactly the same. Exactly, like the way the throttle so. works. That would be better. Um, that's actually how it should. Also, yeah. That's how it should work with the pips. Um, two. Uh, see, this is the problem. I think they don't. For, I don't think they foresaw the way that we would be using power management, so they couldn't anticipate that. So the way it works on console controllers that the pips are locked by tapping, so you can't really change the bind to anything with like double tap. So you have to hold, and then that hold time is basically the same as is 
it just takes away too much time, so you may as well be using basic power management, is what we've seen. Um, but what you're suggesting, having like a, a step system almost, that would be ideal, right? So like rather than having to be like individual pips on the controller, if you were just like, I don't know, what would it be, like uh, a third, uh, half, full, or something, like some sort of variations like that or something, right? Like three steps for it would help me out. Yeah, especially since uh, in, in the math uh, for for the power management, it really doesn't matter to control pimps individually. Right. So you really wouldn't be losing like anything at all. No, because you were, uh, so, you're just basically ma managing between like full and half between two systems. From what I understand, I haven't used it. Is that correct? Or you should probably clarify that. That's probably uh, um, always yes. That's that is the most efficient way to generate power. So, for mm -hmm. example. I'm moving around and now I'm dialing in and trying to shoot on someone mm -hmm. so I get full power. So I switch my pips back to engine and right after that I switch everything full to weapons. Yeah. And so this will uh, in the end result in me having full power entirely, 8 pips to weapons mm -hmm. and the rest into engines and I go mid-throw. Mm -hmm. So this will give me the most firepower. Um, and uh, I can still be as maneuverable as possible. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, when the drifting was around, it actually was really good. I noticed that as soon as they did the dead drift fix, I was like, oh, wow. I was like, I gotta learn some new evasion techniques now again, like, because I was really relying on that to, for survivability, and I mean, I still use it to help me maintain my, uh, my, my boost as much as I can, but yeah, I can tell that it's sort of a factor. Okay, I kind of went off there on that whole <laughs> that, that whole aspect of because it let's, affected uh, me. <laughs> let's let's back I didn't it up a bit. Personally, to, see much difference after yeah. that. So mm -hmm. I think uh, I I think we, while we're on talks of movements and we're before we even talk about drifting or dead drifting, let's back it up to your first experiments, uh, Des, with uh, the the flight engine of the game, and when you first kind of found that. Um, that there was something beyond just um, chaining the boost together, micro-drifting as we called it back before launch, um, that there was something just a, a bit above and beyond the actual just micro-boosting uh, micro that we were seeing uh, right there, right at launch. Because you're, you know, uh, in case people are at home uh, that are listening don't know, uh, Des here is uh, the first person that came up with the, the dead drift itself. And um, so why don't you talk a bit about kind of the evolution of the dead drift and when you started kind of messing around with some of those uh, movement mechanics. So at the beginning, actually, I was working very hard to make a guide. Um, it's still like 20 pages long um, <laughs> about the different maneuvers that you can do. And it did not involve any kind of, of drift mechanical boost activation or whatever. It was just about, okay, so you have someone on your six and an enemy potentially on your right or left. Uh, so on your three or six and I mean on your yeah three or nine. Mm -hmm. And what can you do in that specific case? And you have um, a set of maneuvers that you can... Uh, uh, compute uh, mathematically to know what would be the best maneuver that you could possibly do to try and avoid as much damage uh, from the people from the back and the guy on the right or left. So you have a lot of uh, like uh, different stuff that you can do and also many mind games in terms of okay so you start a loop so the guy is expecting you to finish the loop but no you're going to change and uh, shift to a different maneuver and stuff like that but in the end uh, it turned out that, um, so in this game, we don't have uh, a lead indicator, and instead of that, it is hidden, but we have a very strong aim assist to try to force the shots to get uh, to get to that, lead, that uh, invisible lead. And so the aim assist is actually so strong 
uh, that any maneuvers that you could do is basically almost meaningless unless you're very very small ships uh, so small ships so that's why for example uh, the A-wing is uh, being talked uh, talked about so much uh, because yeah when you have a small hitbox um, the slightest change in your uh, in your speed in terms of absolute value or in terms of direction will allow you to dodge incoming fire but if you're just a tiny bit larger like a tie fighter um, or of course uh, a y-wing uh, most of the shells, shots will still land onto you even so even if we were to to um, to change the stats of all the ships. So if we were to take uh, all the ships and give them uh, the same stats as the TIE Defender or A-Wing in terms of engine mm-hmm. uh, acceleration, speed, and whatever, uh, you would still see that bombers would be extremely unreliable because uh, there is no maneuver that you can do uh, to to really shake off your opponent. Uh, and so in the is, end... This is the hitbox, basically? The si- you're saying the size of that relates to the hitbox is basically... That be true. Yeah. So basically, uh, even if you have a strong engine, um, so you compare. So imagine a case where the Y wing had had the same data for for the engine of the Y wing. Um, then you could do the exact same maneuvers, and so the A wing could dodge away by making shots of the enemy miss by I don't know two meters, maybe one. Mm-hmm. And so this would work for him, but not for the Y wing because the shot will still land because of the huge hitbox. Could they, um, could they do a uniform hitbox for all ships? Is something like that possible? I mean, obviously it's possible. Do they uh, ever do they anything like do that? could do it, again? but it, it wouldn't look very, very good, mm-hmm. um, most likely. It shouldn't <laughs> be too much of an issue, but yeah, um, mm-hmm. it is something that is entirely possible. Um, so Because we already have something that is horrible to see, like when you shoot at someone, and because you have lag, you have hit reg, and you see, uh, you mm-hmm. see them taking damage. But yeah. you don't see it registered um, because the the health just doesn't change in terms of health, and Ooh. so we already have something very annoying. So that shouldn't change so much. So then this just makes me think: um, What do you, with the A wing nerf that just happened this week with dropping the, the shields by a hundred? What do you think about that? Um, I think there's an issue in terms of balancing the game. Uh, you cannot balance uh, the game for everyone at, at the same time. In the sense that I see, I see where they're coming from uh, because uh, they collect the data for from all the games, but not especially from from uh, the high level competitive games. And so they are trying to, yeah, the two th- two things are incompatible. People. Uh, having a hard day at work, come back home, and want to have a fun party game with explosions and random <laughs> upsets. About them. Where, on the other hand, you have uh, people with a competitive mindset right. who actually get off on playing against equally matched opponents. Right. Um, to us, the journey is to improve. <laughs> this is the fun. Yeah. So you have two incompatible things. Uh, casual gameplay with low efforts required and smashing seals endlessly, mm-hmm. feeling good about yourself doing that. <laughs> and you have the competitive gameplay uh, where the effort is the fun. So um, this is, yeah. And so they are trying to appeal to most of the issues that the majority of people have. So uh, the A-wing is hard to hit. Yeah, that, um, that kind of... That's really... Yeah, that baffled yeah. me when I found out reading through that on 
that the New Republic, just seeing the comments, I'm like, oh, wow. The New Republic wins most of the time at the, the mid-level? I was like, they're like, oh, yeah, I don't feel like I mm-hmm. This blew my mind. Hmm. Well, it's, it's, you know, we also always have to remember that it's asymmetric uh, matchups, right? Mm-hmm. These are fictional ships that were made in a sci-fi universe. Uh, so it's not like, you know, even Russian versus American, you know, uh, weapons or whatever. These are completely made from movies that got translated into competitive flight sim game and they're not apples versus apples, right? So maybe the entire <laughs> fleet of the Imperial was put together with all of their different capabilities versus the entire Rebel fleet Imperial uh, uh, put together with all of their capabilities are pretty balanced, right? But mm-hmm. I don't think the Interceptors versus the other Interceptors were ever supposed to be complete head-to-heads or the bombers going against the other bombers were supposed to be exact one-to-ones necessarily because... Yeah, they did the interesting things to balance it with the shields versus weapons engines kind of shunting. I thought that was that was cool. I think mm-hmm. that's fair. Did you talk... Uh, Des- uh, I, I had to go grab a kid for a second, but did you talk at all about the um, um, the early days of dead drifting when it was predominantly in bombers, right? And because you were thinking that at the time, the thought was that the heavier the ship was, the longer of a dead drift you can get to be able to do more damage on the cap ships as you're flying by and stuff. What was going on there in your your thought process? Because you weren't drifting in, uh, you weren't doing a lot of dead drifts with like interceptors or anything, right? It was was mainly bombers. Oh, actually, I was, uh, I was was doing that. So, um, so I was doing basically from... Yeah, the first month I was basi- doing basically what, uh, what you see in the first uh, friend cars video, where you just um, do a dead drift uh, sideways and you should start shooting at the enemy mm-hmm. and you shift your power to your engines and do all sorts of brakes to to ensure that even if the enemy um, fi- uh, manages to quickly find your lead and shoot correctly, uh, you can still just mess up with uh, with the aim by stopping right away and then restarting back up or stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I maybe I should have made some uh, some few videos about that. But yeah, um, basically, you can do that with all the ships. It's just that shunting is um, more or less interesting ish in some <laughs> cases uh, when you do that. Um, what do you mean by that? It's, yeah. Uh, what I mean by that is that you don't really have that much control because shunting uh, doesn't have a good lag compensation. And so if you play a custom match against uh, a team where you have even just one dude who is uh, uh, over the pond, uh, you are most likely not going to be able to to shunt properly at the right time. And so this is just going to get you killed um, most of the time when you're flying against good people. Um, so this is, yeah, an imbalance that is still here because of how lag works. Um, but there isn't much we can do about that. Mm. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. to fully answer your question, so I was, um, I was also, for example, using the TIE Interceptor, I mean, yeah, the TIE Interceptor and Plasburst, and, uh, doing the exact same thing, so Plasbursting around the, the mm. hull of mm. the frigates and the flagship, and I think... Uh, for the last days of uh, where we were, AC5 was fighting Death Watch. This is what I, I was actually doing. So I was uh, just uh, because the Tie Bomber was really at the time they started to nerf mm-hmm. its HP, and so you basically had a ship that was very easy to hit, 
didn't have that much speed to get there to, to its objective, and yet didn't do that much more damage to compensate, to make it worth the run. Mm -hmm. And so at the end, boost so extension even. Yeah, there was no boost extension, and also when you have when you are at higher level, you really see that you cannot have that that notion of yeah, you need to protect your bombers and whatever. But you cannot really do that. Um, the, a good bomber is a bomber that can just uh, survive on its own and mm -hmm. try to apply as much damage as possible. Um, and so, in the end, my best bomber was like a time interceptor because you could actually just uh, move away, move away very fast, and get a lead uh, in terms of speed, and get there very fast, apply damage, run away, and then use mask or whatever. And especially the full control, the speed really, uh, when you don't lag out, uh, you really have a control that allow you to just run past the enemy hole and always keep you hidden from the enemy and so there was this very uh very nice synergy that i had that was very very interesting at the time so uh you could always also uh if you you saw that your your friends um were trying to make a run so the the full so you are all alone on, on the on the battlefield enemies were trying to chase you and so you couldn't really apply much damage you were just busy trying to to get away from there from there from the incoming fire as soon as you would see that your friends are coming coming back then you would sacrifice yourself and uh, i would simply run away very far away from the flagship try to draw their attention to me so they mm -hmm. would kill me and let mm -hmm. uh, my four teammates destroy the flagship completely because um yeah, mm. so it's a team-based game at the end. So. Yeah, I mean, that's something you yeah. see uh, players get overextended at those lower levels and earlier in the game, too. Just desperate for kills. I mean, it was a much more PvP <laughs> uh, dogfighting kind of fleet battles yeah. earlier, too, before... I mean, I mean, I really think it changed less dogfighting-ish by December there. Um, the other thing, mm. Tracy, that you've done throughout is you've been, been doing a lot of the breakdowns on the numbers of the you know the flagships um how much health uh certain subsystems have systems uh, a lot of stuff on passive damage how have you been going about figuring this out both before and since private matches um so yeah i think two months after the uh, the launch of the game i managed to really be able to to read the game code properly and so then it was just about uh, trying to figure out, so, okay, so I'm looking for this kind of like concept. Mm -hmm. And so now I need to ensure that I didn't overlook anything. So I tried to look a bit more, but I'm not very, very good at doing that sort of thing specifically. So it takes a lot of time. And so um, I end up trying to verify uh, what I see in the game code uh, with actual tasting in game. And that's mm -hmm. where you actually run into issues because um, the game code may be made in such a way that it is clear, but uh, some uh, subtleties um, in how the game runs make can can completely screw everything. So, can you give an example uh, of that? Yeah, yeah. So you had a lot of stats that actually don't apply properly because uh, like compensation doesn't apply very well, and so um, mm. everything that is time sensitive. So what can I say? So for example, um, you have some sort of like a weird pathfinder for the Corvettes. So that's why you can sometimes see them just um, when they destroy figures, you can see them just uh, run around in circles for like two minutes before mm -hmm. they actually get to the enemy flagship. Yeah. You can also see the figures actually phase through objects and walls and whatever. <laughs> 
And so what happens is that um, you're supposed to, to have a passive damage, so to speak, that applies uh, from the corvette to the frigate. And uh, if the pathfinder doesn't find a good path, so to speak, then the damage will be applied even if the corvette just uh, is at wow. like, I don't know, uh, six 6,000 meters, uh, yeah, just uh, like all the way around the map. So you have weird stuff like that, you have passive damage. Uh, applying not properly for the first 30 seconds uh, and it gets reset as soon as the corvette uh, gets close and it starts applying damage as well mm. and so you have weird stuff like that and so recently we had a targeting beacon thing so yeah uh, there, are, there are also a lot of under uh, undocumented changes i don't know if that is because it is unintended changes or not, but um, mm -hmm. like what, yeah, it is. It is very weird. So what's the mm -hmm. what's with the what we're saying with the beacons? Uh, no, no t targeting system. So oh. targeting system. Um, so there was always that thing about targeting system that uh, changes um, how uh, the background passive damage applies. So more like the imaginary damage your flagship applies to the enemy frigates and the enemy corvettes when they get close to your flagship right and uh destroying the power system or disabling it will change uh, that value and so even if in the game code you see certain specific values um in actual games you can sometimes end up with a targeting system being destroyed actually doesn't change anything hmm. and sometimes mm -hmm. it completely removes totally passive damage at least from the flagships <coughs> so you have some weird inconsistencies and it's hard to know if it's just um just some random quirks right. uh, that appears uh, from time to time, or if it's actually just an undocumented changes that is just uh, applied uh, for some reason. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, but that's that's okay. The game is really not that complex, so these things will will get figured out. So, and now the Comedive Ride Squadron is actually uh, big enough that I have people uh, telling me, yeah, actually, I've seen this thing happen in games, so that cannot be true all the time. So, okay, so let's try to figure this out. So mm -hmm. we know exactly we can pinpoint uh, the issue and try to uh, try to address it as fast as possible. Uh, but in the end, the answer itself might not be very satisfying nor very conclusive because at the end of the day, uh, the game is still very, very buggy. Let's let's be real because uh, they still so the devs talked about a lot about balancing, but they and they acknowledge the existence of CalCup and other mm -hmm. competitions, and yet they don't address the fact that in those competitions we actually have rules like yeah, no turrets at all. So basically, yeah. a quarter of the toolset of the support ship is right. is unusable. Uh, you have the uh, torpedoes not applying damage properly because right. of how yeah. the damage applies. Are turrets banned um, in CalCup completely? Uh, only in SCL, I believe. In only CalCup, in... it's okay. Yeah, CalCup, uh, they're technically allowed. But in CalCup and SCL, for example, you're not allowed to attack the flagship of phase. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's an additional rule that we've mm -hmm. made into it. And they didn't at all address the idea that okay so guys are you okay with this are you not okay with this do you plan on correcting the issue right. by changing how damage applies or anything mm -hmm. and we basically have no answer even though it's actually we've made an entire role to try to change the game <laughs> how it's played uh in a competition so that's that's where they i mean they it, didn't address that there's just no way they foresaw us playing the game that the way we do you know what i mean like they didn't imagine that it would be like okay you have you know, a support ship, two AI farmers, and two interceptors off the start is like a with mass and beacons on the support ship, and you know, they, no one saw that as a 
You know what I mean? I'm sure they didn't imagine that would be the meta strategy at three, four, five months into the game now, right? Like, to, to win yeah. the opening, like that. So the, the game does develop uh, so far outside of what they're thinking, and I think that has to do with a lot of they the power management. They actually saw a lot of, uh, yeah. a lot of stuff in, in their testing. Um, they actually saw that many people, uh, instead of using uh, Boost and Drift in a conventional way, um, at the very beginning, uh, they in their testing, they actually saw people uh, doing basically what looked like uh, retro drifting. So they would uh, charge more boost and then just uh, boom, 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 just uh, drift around at 90 degrees angle. And uh, so that's that's interesting because after they saw that, they still left it in the game. So that means they were they they were okay with it, or maybe it was too much of a hassle to try to change. <laughs> but in any case, it was already taken into account. And so basically, uh, the work we've done after that, so trying to uh, add specifics on those strategies, uh, uh, have just been there to just enhance the uh, the efficiency. So you have uh, micro drifting, you have um, retro drifting, or whatever, and so. Uh, Basically, yeah, pinballing and the brakes and whatever you can see uh, as, uh, as the guides uh, on the competitive squadrons are basically just uh, an expansion pack for the basic to tools we have yeah. in the game. So, um, yeah. I mean, it's so it's 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 one of the things that I'm doing constantly when I when I do go and you know play with like new players. It's like you've got to go to competitive squadrons and read these guides to understand these these different techniques, basically. Uh, because it will open up so much more for you in the game, and I mean, there's some people who've been playing since launch who don't even realize like what's what's available to them. So I, I mean, I hope I hope yeah, we true. can kind of get that information out to them more. You know, trying trying our best to put it out there. I mean, you're really you're doing a, a great job putting it out there, Distracia, and that's what I like. You know, you've never been someone who's like you know, in some games people would have this information and just like totally keep it to themselves. But you're you're so open and putting it out there. You want to help the whole community get better, man. That's so 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 appreciated. Yeah, there are still so uh, something I'm not open about it because I don't know how the community feels about it. So uh, that's that's an issue that is maybe different, but that's uh, still something that can happen. Is that okay? So this thing is possible, but how do people feel about it? Because um, so yeah, uh, that's that's something that is very very weird. So uh, before the uh, piercing torpedoes or whatever. You could always try to uh, guess the firing patterns of the frigates and flagship to try and uh, attack them off phase. Right. It would take you, if you were alone, like forever to bring their shields down using simple iron cannons and whatever. But that's what yeah. you had at the time, and that's what I was uh, I was doing. And so, um, if someone was uh, trying to, to prevent me from doing that, then I would most likely. Uh, die instantly, or I would be chased away because it's impossible to <laughs> to predict the firing patterns of the flagship and at the same time try to survive against someone uh, while still firing damage. But um, you have this kind of like high risk, high reward thing, so that's kind of like more okay-ish in terms of what the devs thought about the game. So as as it's been said, I think in, in on Twitter is that um, they've, they've they've allowed it to be possible to have phase things. Mm -hmm. um, it's just meant to be extremely hard, mm -hmm. and it is. Uh, the issue that Piercing Torpedo introduced is that now you don't have to be flying around and knowing the firing patterns of the flagship or the frigates to dodge away and try to apply damage. Now, basically, anyone can just uh, 
just sneak around, launch a torpedo in and out, and you're done. You you don't you don't need that, that much practice in the game to to to, uh -huh. to be able to pull that out. And so, so you think it, that you think it that lowered the skill ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, that lowering of the skill gap by using um, a more efficient weapon, mm -hmm. uh, so to speak, uh, might be something that that uh, puts the issue over the edge. So before they piercing torpedo, it was uh, unless you're extremely good, it would be basically like suicide, and especially it would be very hard on your team. Uh, it's a risk reward thing, so it's something very very hard. And with the piercing torpedo now, with no skills at all, basically you could just, uh, yeah, do so much damage and everything. But is it something? Though, in something the end, I it, feel like it you're is seeing that though. often, though. Like, are do you think you're seeing that often? People doing these little, you know, piercing torpedo runs on the the cap ship before the shields are down. Um, uh, not anymore, no, because people are more uh, are right now are training for the competitions, and mm. in the competitions, it is forbidden. So mm. uh, you always want to try to train uh, on techniques yeah, and strategies that work for your competition. Mm -hmm. So we are we are biased here, mm -hmm. but, uh, but before it was made clear that it was forbidden, uh, you had a lot of people trying right. this out, yeah. and so I think at first, um, so I was actually <clears throat> with Randall Logans showing them uh, how you could out of phase. Uh, just without using piercing torpedoes, and then they was asking, is it possible to use the piercing torpedoes to increase your efficiency? So instead of like mm -hmm. spending two minutes to try to bring it down, <laughs> do you be more effective? And yeah, yes, it turned out that yes, it is yes. very effective. So, um, and so basically from there, you had a huge spikes in games where people were trying to do that. And so I had to try because I cannot even if. That really doesn't personally suits me very well. I don't personally enjoy it. I still need to be like kind of like neutral for the competitive scene, and so basically, yeah, play to win. I respect that. So um, I needed to kind of like investigate more mm -hmm. if really my tactics could be enhanced, or if maybe actually my tactic was completely meaningless because you don't you don't even need to know any kind of firing pattern or anything. You just need to just sneak away at one thousand. I mean. 14999 <laughs> meters and lock on your torpedo and then run away so um yeah so i needed to try that on a few games to ensure that is it really as easy or as, as hard as uh people are saying yeah. and is it is the easiness to do it so to speak uh, is it really going against uh their idea that if you go out of phasing stuff it is meant to be really hard and yes, it is still extremely hard. It's just that um, uh, you need to see that against an equally matched team in terms of skills. Uh, if the team is already like just baby skills, uh, you could club them by just killing them, or you could just out of phase them and spare their lives, mm -hmm. but destroy the flagship in like seven minutes or oh so. Oh my god, that would be crazy um, to see but, a flagship yeah. go down before, uh, before you took out frigates or something. I guess that would be funny to see the game get to that point. I'm also curious, actually, yeah, right... Uh, I, I think I've only done that, like, twice, I think. Oh, you've done that? That's hilarious. Video. I need video on that one. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> the thing I was going to ask, actually, about when it comes to out-of-phasing, right now, that is such a huge part of the competitive scene. Like, most games come down to a team, you know, out-of-phasing it, pretty much, so that to make sure the other team can't get it. Like, putting up a last mm -hmm. defense is too risky, almost. You almost, like, I saw, you know, even if uh, 27, you know... First of all, what do you think is the highest that a team can out of phase a ship, and what uh, do you, you think is the best strategy for out of phasing right now in the game? 
there, there is no uh, there is nothing like uh, you can always apply damage it, it's just um, some sort of like uh, psychological stuff like mm -hmm. um, if I can get there and finish the flagship which is at 15% and bring it down to zero and kill it mm -hmm. um, that 15 that time it took me to destroy those 15% then I could have also just spent twice as much time to bring it from 30% to zero as well so mm -hmm. it's not really <clears throat> something yeah it's more about how you feel about it, it's yeah. more about the, the feeling, and so yeah. But in the end, it's still something very hard to do and very inefficient uh, compared to other tactics. So it's always more of a of a mind game. So um, that is that is a bait, uh, a bait, a bet that you need to take, mm -hmm. and um, uh, it is yeah. So you can totally out of phase like from uh, frigates and and flagship from uh, hundred percent shield to down to zero hole. Mm -hmm. The only issue is. Uh, how easy can you do that, and how much the enemy are skilled enough to be able to prevent you from doing that without wasting their time. So, <clears throat> that is always, yeah. I mean, I hate a, being in that situation where we've uh, just got the flip, we're about to go on defense, and we, or offense, we're on offense now, and we feel like we're about to win it, but the team's out of phasing you, and you're like, no, it was that 25, <laughs> they get it? It's like, you know, especially if, like, you, I, I've made that call before, where I've said, don't out of phase it, guys. We're going to put up a hard defense here and get the flip, and then we'll just finish it off. And that was the wrong call to make. Um, is that just something that you... What do you think? Should you always go for the out of phase? What do you think in that situation? That entirely depends on the, um, on the skills of your teammates and how your team can be synchronized. Yeah. So, Because you always need to have a strategy that is adapted to... To the skills uh, of your teammates and that is very important because even if you have the best strategy in the world if you cannot perform it if you cannot apply that strategy because of a lack of skill or training time uh, then it doesn't really matter too much so maybe to answer more of your question directly um, so what you would not want to do actually is uh, destroy the uh, power system because um, so as soon as you shoot somewhere, you on the whole section, you have a chance of popping out a, I mean, on making sp on spawning a um, the weak points a breach yeah yeah a weak point. And so if you already know where they are supposed to to appear, you can actually shoot at the place where they're supposed to appear, apply a bit of damage, and most likely by the time you re you yourself um, realize that the breach has appeared thanks to your damage. Um, the last shots, uh, last uh, couple of shots you sent uh, before you realized that will actually destroy the weak points right away. So that's mm -hmm. why actually knowing the specific uh, uh, layout of where the whole section ends, when it, where it begins, and where the um, bridge point associated with that whole section uh, can be very important. Mm -hmm. And um, th those bridges will still appear anyway, uh, thanks through passive damage or through any kind of random damage doing by any kind of other player. Mm -hmm. And so this the power system will only will only will, won't do very much. Right. So, so you have five total. Is that correct? Um, breach points that will spawn weak points on the breach. Yeah, yeah. And, and no more. No, no, no more. more. So they, if you got, so you're saying if you take out, say you get two created from passive damage, then when you create the, when you kill the power, it'll only create three more. It'll create the difference of the five remaining. 
exactly exactly yeah. and they might they might spawn uh, at a point i mean on a whole section that is actually hard to reach so it's not actually very convenient right you would rather want to shoot at some place and ensure that it is very likely that the bridge point will appear there right uh, because for example if you're trying to out of phase the enemy flagship and the only uh, bridge that appears is like right in the middle below uh good luck trying to get that without dying so <laughs> yeah especially the tractor's still there yeah <laughs> um yeah. Another... do you think uh oh, sorry, go ahead uh, well, I was going to say, do you think, um, you know, we've stayed up till 6, 7 in the morning sometimes talking about um, the intent behind stuff, especially when you're talking about um, the intent behind rule sets, the intent behind what the developers had in mind for certain things. And and like you said, obviously, the, the devs left in out-of-phase capture damage for a reason. They could have easily done any number of things uh, to really solidify those phases as being like, Oh yeah, you know, you're on offense or you're on defense and you know, but obviously they left all that damage uh, potential in there. And the story of Star Wars is the, you know, the 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 famous last stand, the um the Hail Mary uh for that engine core at the center of the the Star Destroyer, you know what I mean, or the Death Star. So it's like um What's your opinion about out of phasing in general? Do you think it's just a part of the game and everybody needs to just kind of, uh, you know, uh, nut up and learn how to play defense? And or do you, th do you think it really is a, a, a question of does everyone really want to dedicate a goalie to just watching the cap ship the whole time for out of phasers? You know, uh, th that's a very, very tough question in the sense that um, so we've been trying very hard to try to make the yeah, the intent of the Calibration, uh, Calibration Cup uh, rule set in trying to see exactly what should really reflect most the the idea the devs had. And so, yeah, we, we've been trying very hard to see what we could accept or what would not be acceptable in a competitive environment. And also mm -hmm. we're trying to uh, balance uh, the fun the competitive players have with uh, the fun of the spectators watching us. And so that is very... That is very, very hard to, to balance uh, because s some of the stuff that might uh, interest uh, spectators is obviously not very interesting for, for competitors. So uh, most spectators will just want to see upsets um, like at every turn. And obviously, this is the bane of competitive players. We want to be having as much less uh, as, as least the least amount of luck possible in the game so that we have um, we can really say it, it's hard to really gauge the who's the best player when you keep getting killed by random NPCs or <laughs> or whatever. So yeah, it's, yeah, um, it's, a, it's a balance always. And so the out of phasing is like, um, I agree with um, many of the statements uh, that have been made um, when I was talking with people about it in the sense that it actually makes makes the game more interesting because instead of being like purely linear, instead of, okay now def defend, okay now attack. Yeah. Now yeah, exactly. the game is more about attack and defense at the same time, and it's more of a risk reward thing, and that is interesting yeah, to watch. I, I agree. It's more. It's, you know, the fly, a flight a flight sim game is like a three dimensional battlefield, and you're right. The strategy also has to be three dimensional because it's not just offense or defense. It's that that uh, mm -hmm. that that perspective you have to have. I love that. That's true. Another thing, yeah, I because otherwise it, it, it could be uh, very boring very quickly. Mm -hmm. You would see, okay, let's do <laughs> the offense phase. Yeah, yeah we we uh, brought the figures uh, down to thirty percent. Now it's their turn. Uh, yeah, we, they brought it down to nineteen percent or whatever. And so it's kind of like yeah, not very. Uh, 
it's kind of like more who's doing the best attack and it's much less interesting to watch because you know what's going to happen. Right. There is that not that much uh, risk, take, risk being taken. There's not that much mind game because it's just attack and defend. And so that's where actually the uh, being able to have a phase stuff is actually interesting in terms of mind games. Um, but now the question would be how exactly... So we agree with the idea, but now exactly how much is is it okay? So in the sense of what tools are you allowed to to use, uh, and what tactics are you allowed to use to 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 bypass that right. idea of tug of war and only attack or defense? And so yeah, so we so for Galveston Cup we made that difference uh, that um, so out of phasing frigates is okay, out of phasing flagship flagship to flagship is okay. Uh, but if the figures are already up and full shields and totally unscathed, um, you are not allowed to go for the flagship. Right. So it's kind of like um, a middle ground between the two. So yeah. you're, you're allowed to out of phase, but not too much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Though the, the, the main mm -hmm. issue that people had that, we, that made us more or less do that in the end is that we were worried that we would see basically the game being not as interesting because we were fearing that basically the entire enemy team would basically just ignore each other and go straight for the flagship. Right. And so that, that's what we feared. But in the end, um, it's not competitively super viable to, to just go for the flagship no. right away. And it's so risky that the skill set would basically only allow the four or five best team uh, that we have to be able to, to do that. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise you would just die because of, you need some tremendous mechanical skills just to be able to survive there yeah. and consistently apply damage so you're not useless. And True. so that's already very hard. So And there are many strategies that you can use to mitigate that and whatever. And in the end, it's actually, it actually takes longer to do it than to just go th straight through... Right. Uh, the specific layers that you already have because of passive damage and also how much easier it is to apply damage when you're not getting i mean instantly <laughs> reduced to, to add-ons and i think that's, shot of it. that's sure. a big thing in the solo queue um players don't realize how much passive damage can do the work for you i think and that's you see just people die so much just doing nothing and it just i think that's why it can be a frustrating experience for a lot of people too um and it's there's no way really for them to understand that either just because i don't think the game really teaches you that it takes people like distracier kind of like uh putting it out there for them to learn another thing i kind of want to get into here distracier that i think you're a good person to speak to about this is you know lately uh, a big issue, uh, Radiant just put out a video discussing macros. There was another player who only did dogfights as New Republic in VR who did a little bit of a video about macros. Um, it's another thing where, you know, the the community has uh, been in, not been worried about this. So, so what do you think, could you talk about the difference between bindings and macroing and where you think the line is there of uh, where it becomes not fair play? Hmm... There is a lot of stuff that comes back to your first question about hardware, so controllers and keyboard. Uh -huh. So, for example, to be more efficient, mm -hmm. so, for example, I, I've made my setup so that it, it specifically does stuff in such a way that, so, I, I bound, for example, so I don't know if you have a keyboard in front of you right now, but mm -hmm. uh, you, you can see that you have a the space bar, and right above it, you have uh, C, V, B, N, and, um, yeah, the yep. other keys, mm -hmm. yeah, X and Alt. 
and you have all of those keys that you can actually just press all together by just simply pressing your 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 um your thumb the right way and you can activate them all at once by just uh uh just using your your thumb the right way so that's what i'm using um for example so there is um in terms of if you have the more control you have over how you can keybind stuff and the more versatile your hardware is, because obviously you wouldn't be able to do that with your controller. Right. Unless maybe you were to kind of like, maybe, I don't know, uh, print some sort of like 3D print, some sort of like weird stuff. So that's yeah. a weird button. Yeah. Uh, like when you press it, it actually presses the two below, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. X and Y or whatever. You could do that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but um, you wouldn't have that much control because right now, so for example, I can just use my thumb and activate shield first and then activate boost, or I can boost and then activate shields, um, all of it by just a single press of my thumb. And so it's still, though, I think less efficient than uh, those macros that I've been shown in the, in the video uh, that he's made, because uh, when I check my, my keylog, because um, that's why I, I do to train everything, so you need to train to be able to see exactly exactly what suits you best in terms of reactiveness and how you can the more efficiently execute the uh, flight patterns and how you want to move exactly. And when something wrong happens, it's not enough to have a recording of what happens in, uh, in the game. Because also the, um, the instruments in the game are actually laggy and so mm -hmm. they have a huge lag time and so they're really not reliable. So what I use personally since the beginning, I've been using um, so I record my games and every time I do something wrong or whatever, I save it to a specific place and I check the key log to know exactly um, what I did. So, okay, okay, so I messed that up because I actually activated shield first and only then boost or whatever. Mm. So, and so I know what I did wrong and know, then I, I know what I need to train exactly to be able to not make that mistake. But even so... I still, it still takes me like, even with my thumb and just one activation, you still see a lot of variation. And sometimes it can take me like, I don't know, between 200 and 300 milliseconds to do something. Whereas with the macro, I guess, basically they do, they do it between like zero milliseconds. So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's more efficient. But, uh, as I will say, um, when people get worried about, oh, I don't, not good about dead drifting or whatever. They are good, actually. It's just that, um, you just need a better keybinds. Put much, put put. Um, you just need to put more thought into it and just practice it a lot. Because in the end, it doesn't really matter that much if you're. I mean, the acceleration curves uh, for drifting are actually very generous in the sense that um, even if you uh, empty your engine power like I don't know uh, half a second uh, after you activated drift it's still going to be a good and decent dead drift. So it's not that bad at all. So you you don't need that thing to make you perfect because you don't need perfection in this game mm -hmm. uh, to be to be to be decent. It's more important to know exactly uh, exactly where you should drift and the right direction you should take to try to uh, get out of sight of your pursuer while still trying to attack the flagship or the frigate or whatever. This is immensely more important than being able to do a perfectly dead drift uh, every single time or whatever because yeah, it seems so, if it's programmed that... to do it a certain way it doesn't allow for the variance you might need in in game like you know what i mean when you're just like i have to dead drift this way to avoid oh, him totally. you know that's what i feel like um people have said maybe you could get to that point I, I don't know i find it hard to believe like when people you know five players have been playing this game since the start who have that ability without without macroing to do to make those fine adjustments i feel like they will be at the 
the the advantage. It's just I feel bad for maybe mid level players who have to deal with that, and and new players are probably gonna gonna have a bad time. <laughs> yeah, like uh, like I said, in my opinion, man, it's it's uh, F one drivers driving with uh, with automatic transmissions. Right. It's just not it's not gonna happen at the highest level. The top end teams. Like, why would you want to pigeonhole yourself to being locked into this exact, what, angle, turn, length of time for drift? Any of those, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Des, but any one of those variables, if you locked them into stone, into concrete, you'd be at a disadvantage at the highest, highest level, right? Am I wrong or what? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if they were locked so, into concrete, any one of those variables, whether it's time, speed, uh, length of drift, angle of drift, direction anything if you were locked into doing that every single time you'd be like oh. half the time you'd be like oh shit i missed again because i'm <laughs> i'm a robot out here uh, when everyone else is a ballerina right it, it, i don't know maybe uh, i'm wrong with that yeah i think you're right des what do you think um yeah so when you have people complaining about that kind of stuff if you so if you recognize um, this from yourself, that you're losing to the same thing over and over, uh, very, very ra- rarely uh, is, the tact- is the tactic so broken to the point that where it's impossible to play around. So the best thing to do in these types of scenarios is if you're losing to the same type of thing over and over again, it's trying to figure out solutions, not just mindlessly keep playing. If you have an issue, whether it's like, you know, in any game, any sport, whatever, it is to find the solution rather than uh, like keep, you know, um, rushing the same thing, um, you know, keep losing the same way. It doesn't matter if you lose the same thing for 10 hours. It's not going to help you uh, by doing it for another hour. Uh, if you have like, you have to like think about the solutions and then apply them. So that's where I think in the end it amounts to is just trying to, if you have an issue, then try to understand why you have an issue and um, see if other people have the same issue and if someone has managed to uh, get around it and maybe they made a guide so you don't actually have to discover everything by yourself you just have to mm. apply it so that, that's is, true yeah um uh, so i think i yeah. think the skill gap issues may be that skill gap isn't as thick of a slice of pie as we think it is you know what i mean like it's kind of like crappy mid-level level players potentially using macros to beat other not-so-great mid-level players. That's, like, I doubt these are mm-hmm. high-end... You know what I'm saying? Again, yeah, I think that's is, probably more realistic of a situation, and I was a little more fearful of yeah. it versus <laughs> I saw that. I think you're, I think you're yeah. right. Um, mm. I think we pretty much talked about everything here. We definitely got to have Distracia back on another episode in the future here. Oh, yeah. um, what do you want to promote here? Give your shout-out to your socials, Distracia, before we uh, wrap up. Oh yeah, no, no. <laughs> I'm just um, yeah. C- come to the uh, competitive uh, squadrons Reddit mm-hmm. and just um, yeah, enjoy or share your knowledge. And also, don't hesitate to share your thoughts on everything. Uh, in the long term, since basically the devs have uh, more or less given up on the game already, um, uh, I've been meaning to make something like um, some sort of like a a general poll so that we can see what everyone thinks about the different issues of balance in the game so that in the end maybe they could patch some of the stuff and um and we could try to uh, organize the roles of the future competitions to better match uh, the intent of 
no longer the devs, but actually other people still playing the game. So uh, yeah, hopefully yeah. that we can definitely move towards something like that. Mm-mm. The passing of the torch. Interesting. <laughs> uh, Green good. Fox, mm-hmm. anything uh, to end off here with? No, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming by and talking to us, Des. Always a pleasure. Always a, a wealth of knowledge and a fountain of uh, information coming out of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, thanks for coming by. Yeah, and thank you everyone for checking out this episode. Give it a like on here, subscribe to the channel, uh, give it a review on iTunes. Five is the number of stars, and say thank you to Stracier for giving us all this information. And again, I'm going to say it myself thank you to Stracier for all this information and being on the podcast. We will check everyone else next time on the Star Wars Squadrons podcast. Five, one, thank you. Five, one,